You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Alrighty, how many of you are really excited for a great sermon today? Anybody excited for a great sermon? All right, let me lower your expectations. That's probably not going to happen. Okay, that's probably not going to happen. Let me lower your, for two reasons. One, I'm tired. I'm not going to lie to you, I'm tired. Grace was gone all week. Our daughter was at a choir trip out of state. I was home alone with the three boys. I'm happy to report we made it. We're alive. We're well. Didn't get to bed, didn't sleep well, we didn't eat well. There was one night I came home at 9 o'clock. I was like, did you boys have dinner? They looked at each other like, no. But we did have a lot of ice cream. So that, that was our week. We had ice cream for dinner and stayed up all night. So I'm tired. Number two, I have got the most difficult text of the Bible to teach. If, if you've been here a while, what book of the Bible were we in? We're John. We're going verse by verse through it, okay? Today we hit the section, eat my body, drink my blood. Yeah, woo, one, per, one vampire is like, that's amazing. Okay, so, so yeah, for that vampire, welcome. This will be your life verse. So for the rest of us, it's like, what the? And, and, and Jesus is saying this to people who don't eat pork, let alone people. I mean, you know, it, it sounds, I mean, it's just such a weird, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He says it over and over and over. And I, I man, I was trying to figure out how to teach this. Uh, it went rough at the nine. You guys have a better chance of getting a decent sermon. We're going to cover way too much text. And I, I read the commentators and one commentator literally said, there's no way you can preach this all in one sermon. Oh, yes, you can. You just need to take a few hours. And then, and then it said, so you need to do a three-part series. I thought, a three-part series on eat my flesh, drink my blood? No, not unless I'm at Comic-Con trying to reach goth kids who really like Twilight. <laughs> then a three-part series would be like a revival. But for us normal folk, it's just a little complicated, okay? So let me just tell you in advance. We're going to cover way too much scripture. It's going to be offensive and complicated. You're welcome. Okay, so we're going to start. And it's because Jesus speaks the same thing to three different groups. He keeps saying the same thing to different crowds. So first, Jesus speaks to the crowd. John chapter 6, verse 23. We're going right through the Bible, right right through this book of the Bible. And let me just say this. If you go right through a book of the Bible, you're going to hit some stuff that you wouldn't have picked. This would be an example of that. So what had happened was Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, massive crowd, multiplied a little boy's lunch. He sends the disciples off in the boat across the sea. And then he walks to them on water, right? We've looked at all of this. That's different. And then he's on the other side. And what happens is the people follow him. He's got quite a following. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats, went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So everybody's following Jesus around. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they just said him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They got free bread. Right? Once Jesus starts feeding people, all of a sudden he's popular. All right? um, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? 
Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. Uh, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They They want a free Panera. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall uh, have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the first of three sections. Okay, here we go. All right. Let me tell you about people. Let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you about how people have a relationship with Jesus. So we're going to do over and over. You, Jesus, you, and Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Number one, when it comes to people, more people care about their body and life than their soul and their eternal life. Okay? They, they get free bread from Jesus that nourishes their body. They love that. And Jesus said, let's talk about your soul and not just your life, but your eternal life. You know, we're not really that interested. We want the bread, not the teaching. We want you to feed our body, not our soul. We want you to improve our life, not give us eternal life. This is still true, sadly, today. Many people, if not most people, pay far more attention to their outer life than their inner life. So today you got up and most of you, thank you for doing so, you got ready. You brushed your teeth, did whatever hair you've got left. Um, You took a shower, put clothes on, looked in the mirror. Am I ready for my day? Well, did you prepare your soul, right? Did you prepare your soul? Do you prepare your soul every day like you prepare your body? This is time in God's presence. This is prayer. This is your inner life being ready to go live your outer life. And it's out of your inner life that your outer life is lived. And so they're super excited for the bread and the body. They're not super excited for the, uh, the spiritual instruction for the soul. How about you? Are you taking better care of your body or your soul? your body or your soul. And God wants you to take care of both. Take care of both. And so they're very excited about the body. They're not very excited about the soul. Number two, most people are bandwagon fans, okay? There are thousands. They're like, we love Jesus. And then you're going to see at the end, they all walk away. They they give up. They stop following and, and, and pursuing Jesus. A lot of people are bandwagon fans. As long as Christianity is popular, they're in. Unpopular, I'm out. As long as the Jesus thing is working for me, I'm in. If it doesn't feel like it's working for me, I'm out. How many of you are sports fans? It's tough to be a sports fan in the Valley, right? Because everybody's a bandwagon fan. Right? You go to a Cardinals game, and half of the fans are not Cardinal fans. Amen? Because everybody moved here from somewhere else. They came here on vacation. It was sunny, so they stayed. That's how it works. Okay? But then they still root for their team. How many of you like the Cubs? Oh, it's very, look, a lot of hands go up. I went to the Target, and you can buy a Diamondbacks jersey or a Cubs jersey. We're nowhere near Chicago. (laughs) But there are a lot of Cubs fans. So if you go to, let's say, a Diamondbacks game, a lot of Cubs fans when they're playing the Cubs. You go to... um, 
You go to a Cardinals game, oftentimes the opposing team will have as many fans as the local fans. Why? A lot of bandwagon fans. As long as the Cardinals are winning, or as long as the Diamondbacks are winning, people are cheering. When they stop winning, people stop coming. You're going to see that today when it comes to Christianity. Some people are also bandwagon fans of Jesus. Number three, most people already have enough evidence to believe in Jesus. They asked Jesus this Sort of peculiar question. They they ask him, "What sign do you, uh, what sign do you do that we may see and believe?" So they show up to Jesus. Jesus is like, "Believe in me. I'm God. I'm come here to save your sin." They're like, "Prove it. Do something. Show us." Question: Has he already done some stuff? Pretty crazy. He shows up at a wedding, and he turns water into. Wine, you're like, I'm in, okay. Some of you, you're like, that's good. And then there's a guy who's an invalid for 30 some years, and Jesus heals him. Like, well, that's good. Um, And and now he's told everybody he's God, and they just rode across the lake to get to Jesus. How did Jesus get across the lake? He walked on the water. I'll just tell you, after that, I wouldn't be asking for stuff. I'd just be like, you know, I feel like I got enough. If it wasn't raising the sick guy, the water into wine, or the water skiing without the boat, any one of those should be ample evidence. Plus, he keeps telling them, I'm God, I've come down from heaven, I am God, come down from heaven. He keeps telling them that. The point is this, most people have enough information and evidence about Jesus, and they keep asking for more, they just need to make a decision with what they already know. Some of you, Jesus has answered your questions. He showed up in your life. He's surrounded you with people who love the Lord. He's given you an opportunity to read the word. He's, he's, he's done a lot of good in your life. And, and there's nothing more that he has to do to prove himself to you. You just need to decide what you're going to do with the revelation that he's already given. In addition, number four, most people don't understand the difference between glory and gratitude. The season that they're in is called Passover. It was connected to the Old Testament in the days of the Exodus. God's people were liberated from bondage and slavery into freedom. And they're wandering around the wilderness, headed toward their homeland. And they're going to starve to death. It's kind of like the desert here. There's nothing to eat. And how does God provide for a nation of a few million? Every morning, he graciously gives something called manna. It's bread. They eat it to sustain their life, and it shows God's provision. So it's during the Passover season where they would get together, and they would eat bread to remember that God provides bread. It's under this season that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It is during this season when Jesus is saying, Just as God sent down provision for your body, I am God come down to bring provision for your soul. Just as your body needs nourishment and sustenance, so your soul needs nourishment and sustenance. Just as God gives us our daily bread, so God gives us Jesus, the bread of life, to nourish our soul and grant us our eternal life. Now what happened was, God provided the manna, and he led the people under the leadership of a senior leader, a man named Moses. And what they did, they gave Moses credit for the manna. And so Jesus tells them, actually, it's not your father Moses who gave you the bread. It was my father in heaven. There's a difference between glory and gratitude. Okay? And what, what we need to understand is that we give glory to God and we can give gratitude to people. What they did, they gave glory to Moses. Moses, every day, gave us bread. Jesus is like, no, Moses is not in the bakery business. He does not do bread. Right? Moses did not provide bread every day. God led the people through Moses, but he provided. 
Okay? We make two errors, and I want to make note of this for the sake of your relationships. Sometimes we give glory to people, and it should be glory to God. Other times we give glory to God, but we don't have gratitude for the person through whom God worked. I'll give you a case study. Some years ago I was doing a counseling session, husband and wife. They both felt very unappreciated, and uh, they were both hurt by one another. And so I asked the... uh, the wife, I said, tell me about your family. And she said, we have a great family. God's always provided for us. God's taken care of us. God put a roof over our head. God put shoes on our feet. God put food on our table. God is always taking care of us. Glory to God. The husband, I look at him, he looks a little frustrated. He said, see, that's the problem. He said, I, I go to work every day. I break my back to feed my family. I, I, I provide. And she never says thank you. She's not grateful. She's like... Look, she said, we're to glorify God. I said, you can glorify God and be grateful for your husband. Okay, because God works through him. So glory to God, gratitude to him. And then I asked him, I said, well, tell me the story about your kids and your family. And he just started gushing. We got the best kids. They're healthy. They love the Lord. They're great kids. You know, they're obedient. They're hardworking. They're compliant. God did this. God did that. God did this. God did that. These kids are awesome. And I asked the wife, how does that make you feel? She said, I birthed the kids. He never said thanks. Um, yeah, I've seen that. That's a situation. She should get the knuckles for that. That was quite a bit of work. And uh, she said, I stay home with the kids, and I pray with the kids, and I teach the kids, and I read the Bible with the kids, and I teach them to honor their father. And she said, I just don't feel like he appreciates what I do. And he was very religious, and he said essentially the same thing. Well, we give glory to God. Glory to God and gratitude to the people through whom God works. Okay? So here, they're saying, glory to Moses. He's like, no, 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 not glory to Moses, glory to God. And we can have gratitude for Moses, but we glorify God. So let me, let me say this for you, that everything that is good and provided in your life is from God. So you give glory to God. And then you give gratitude to those through whom God works to provide. This is why you can read the Bible and it will tell you to glorify God. It's one of the mega themes of the whole Bible. And you'll see repeatedly in the Bible people named. And then there's appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness for them. There are times that literally, like the Apostle Paul will say, and I'm thankful for so-and-so and and -and so-and-so and -and so-and-so because God worked through them. Glory to God, gratitude to people. Um, And then number five, Most people would not believe in Jesus, even if he showed up. Sometimes you think, man, if Jesus would just show up, then I would believe. Here's what Jesus says. You have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They have heard Jesus say over and over, I'm God. They saw him walk across a lake. They ate the lunch that he multiplied from a little boy. I mean, it's all there, and they don't believe. Sometimes it is not because God has not shown up, but because you have not responded. See, a relationship takes two people. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would just encourage you to consider that it's not that he doesn't want a relationship. It's that you don't, that he is pursuing you and you're not responding to him. And Jesus said, I came down from heaven and I'm doing miracles and I'm teaching and you're still not seeing who I am and believing who I am. I want you to see how good God is and sometimes how stubborn people are. There are going to be people that even see Jesus risen from death that don't believe in him. 
And so it's not just the eyes that see, it's also the heart when it comes to the relationship that is open, willing, and receptive toward the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you some more things about Jesus. There are some titles for him in here. First, he's called rabbi, which means teacher. And what this means is that Jesus is teacher. That makes you and I student. Student. To be a good student requires a posture of humility. Need to be teachable. Need to be teachable. Jesus has a lot to teach everyone. And the one thing that makes it impossible for us to learn is pride or haughtiness, where we're arguing with a teacher, not learning from the teacher. Some of you are teachers, and you're like, these kids don't listen. Some of you are parents. Your kids don't listen. Jesus is a teacher. He is always willing to teach. Then we need to take on that disposition and posture of student. Okay, Lord Jesus, you talk, I listen. I want to learn from, listen to you. Number two, Jesus says that he is the son of man. This is his favorite designation for himself. Some 70 or 80 times he quotes it. It's from Daniel 7, a book in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before he was born. And it says that the son of man would come from God the Father, that he would be God as a human being, entering into human history, walking on the earth, establishing a kingdom that rules over all kingdoms and never ends. It's this great, glorious, and grand revelation of Jesus as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, he is telling them, everything you've been waiting for, everything you've been hoping for, everything you've been longing for is now fulfilled in me. Third thing Jesus says about himself, he says, the Father has set his seal on the Son. In that day, to set the seal was to transact business, legal, and such. Uh, The seal was the way of authenticating something, right? When you go in to get a notary, that's a seal. Um, If you're looking for an appraisal on, say, a piece of artwork or a numbers matching car or a signed autograph piece of sports memorabilia, you're going to take it into an expert. They're going to verify it, authenticate it, and then they're going to put their seal on it, their signature on it. Jesus says, if you don't believe what I am saying, look at how the Father has validated, authenticated who I am. He has set the seal of the Holy Spirit on me. That Jesus is in this way unique and superior to everyone and everywhere. And he's living by the power of the Spirit, which shows that he is living as the seal given by the Father, verifying his work. Um, Number four, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is the big theme. There are seven I am statements in John's gospel. This is the first. Jesus will say, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has these seven statements in John. I am, fill in the blank. Here is the first. I am the bread of life. And the point is this. The primary sustenance in their diet was bread. That to nourish your body and to extend your life required partaking of bread. Again, and this is under the season of Passover, remembering God's provision of bread. And what Jesus is saying is, you need more than just bread, you need the bread of life. What he's using is this analogy, this symbolism, saying every day you make bread, every day you bake bread, every day you break bread, and that alone is not sufficient. That might extend your life, but it does not grant eternal life. You need a different kind of nourishment and sustenance for your soul to give you eternal life. And he says, I am the bread of life. Number, um, number six, Jesus says, 
Number five, rather, Jesus says that he is the son of God, the father. This is a massive claim that other religions will be very offended by. And what Jesus is saying, that he is of the same authority and he is of the same attributes and power and glory as God the Father. In that day, like father, like son was indeed true. You could transact business if you were the son. You could inherit the family estate if you were the son. uh, That you represented the father and the family and you came with that full authority. So to reject a son was to reject a father. To harm a son was to harm a father. To oppose a son was to oppose a father. Okay? Um, Jesus comes and says, he's my father. Right? That I come with full authority of the king of kings, lord of lords, the ruler of all. I am God. We are equal, the father and I. And I come to do his will. I come to reveal his purpose. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And many religions hear that and they will bristle and say, Jesus is not the son of God. And Jesus says, actually, I am the son of the father. Now, that being said, we learn a little bit about people, a little bit about Jesus. How do you have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus is teaching, and then these people start asking, and here is their question. John chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Here's, Here's the issue. God is in heaven, we're on earth. What do we do to connect? God is good, we are bad. What do we do to connect? God is creator, we are created. What do we do to connect? So they come to Jesus and they say, okay, you want us to be connected to God? What work do we need to do? What things do we need to do? Give us the list and then we can do the things on the list and then we can have the relationship. What we will call this, what what typically this is called is works. It's works. Every religion except for Christianity is based on the premise of works. You got to do something so that you can have a relationship with God. Some religions will teach you need to die, reincarnate, suffer, pay off your karmic debt to pay God back. Others will say that your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. And if the scales fall in your favor, then you're pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. Some would say that you need to join their religion, give this amount of money, make this sacred pilgrimage, undergo this kind of suffering to pay God back. All of that is works. Okay. I'm going to ask you a tricky question. Are Christians, Christians, are we saved by works, yes or no? no. Oh boy, that was, cause, yeah, see, that was as clear as mud. Fascinating. Okay, see, so here, here's what happens. The people that say, no, you're thinking of our works. The people that are saying yes are thinking of Jesus' works. So let me say this. We're all saved by works. His works, not ours. Okay, His works, not ours. So the religious question is a good question with the wrong answer. The religious question is, what do we need to do? Wrong question. Right question is, what needs to be done? Jesus needs to do his work. He lives without sin, not you and me. He goes to the cross, dies for our sin. And then when he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. So all the work's done for salvation. All the work is done for salvation. So Christians will say we're saved by faith, not by works. Faith is trusting in Jesus' works. 
So the truth is something needs to be done, but it's not what we do. It's what he does. Does that make sense? So here's how Jesus says it. He says, uh, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So I want you, dear friend, when you stand before God on the day of your death, just say, I'm with Jesus. Don't pull out your resume. That is not going to work. Nobody's going to stand before God, pull out their resume and him be like, "Woo! congratulations, you made the team. No, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. I trust him. He did the work. He lived without sin in my place. He died for sin in my place. He rose for salvation in my place. I trust in him. He did all the work. When he said it was finished, it was finished. Now, here's why I tell you this, because I love you. And when I deal with religious people, they lack assurance. They lack joy. They are worried and fearful. I talked to somebody, an elderly person, not that long ago, and they they said, man, I'm nearing the end of my life. I'm kind of scared. You know, all my friends are dying. I'm close. I said, well, what are you thinking? They said, I sure hope I've done enough. I said, no, 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 no. Jesus did it all. Right? If, 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 If you think I need to do something, then you're always worried. Did I do enough? And if you do something bad, you're like, did I undo all the things that I did? There's no assurance, there's no peace, there's, there's no comfort, there's a lot of fear. Religion is based on fear. It's based on fear. Jesus gives a secure relationship that allows peace, assurance, comfort, and joy. And then some people will ask, well, what's to keep people from just rebelling and sinning and doing whatever they want? Well, it's the loving relationship. You will do more for love than you will for fear. And you'll live a better life if you live it from love than fear. And religion is all about fear to get you to do more. And Jesus is all about love and making you become more. And so these religious people, they don't understand. They're like, Jesus, tell us what to do. And he's like, gosh, okay, something needs to be done. I'm here to do it. (laughs) I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to do things for you to save you, to enter into a relationship with you. And let me say this then, once you belong to Jesus, you do what the Bible calls works. You're saved to your works, not by your works. When you're walking with Jesus, you start doing things. Not so that you can have a relationship, but because you have a relationship. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, I'll summarize it briefly. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus saves you so you can live a new life in relationship with him and you don't work from, excuse me, you don't work for your relationship, you work from your relationship. It's not that your works save you, Jesus' works save you and then Jesus works in you and on you and then Jesus starts to work through you, but it's all Jesus, amen? And they don't understand this. They're confused. They're like, no, no, no. Tell us what to do. Jesus says, trust in me. Believe in me. And what he says about this relationship, three things. It gives salvation, satisfaction, and security. Salvation, he calls it eternal life. That's the relationship. Eternal life begins not the day you die. There's this great misconception. You die, 
and then you get a relationship with God. No, no, no. Eternal life begins the day you meet Jesus, not the day you die. Eternal life continues beyond the grave, but it begins in this life. This is why I want you to know Jesus today, love Jesus today, pursue Jesus today, walk with Jesus today. He not only saves you from death and hell, he saves you from yourself and a lot of bad decisions in this life. You don't just need Jesus on the day you die, you need Jesus every day. And eternal life is a relationship with Jesus that starts the day that you meet him. So Jesus gives salvation, Jesus gives satisfaction. He says, you shall not hunger, shall never thirst. Our body needs constant provision. How many of you eat, then you're hungry again, right? All teenage boys know exactly what this feels like. You eat, you're hungry. You drink, and you're thirsty. The body needs constant provision because it is never satisfied. Jesus says, the satisfaction that I give is so deep, so enduring, so significant, that at the soul level, you will not be hungry or thirsty. Once you receive me, you will be satisfied. You will not need anything else. You will not require anything else. Some of you have been feeding your soul something other than Jesus. And what you find is, eventually, you're hungry and thirsty again. Some of you, it was a relationship. That's it, I'll be satisfied. No, I'm not. Once I get a job, not satisfied. Once I get healthy, not satisfied. Once I get into the next life stage, not satisfied. People are dissatisfied because they are trying to fill a need with someone or something other than Jesus, and he alone satisfies the soul. How many of you, to testify, you are Christians, and once you met Jesus, no one is like Jesus, no one does what Jesus does, no one satisfies like Jesus satisfies. Amen? That's the way that it works. So he gives salvation, satisfaction, and security. I want to talk about this relationship. He says two things on this third point. Number one, he says, quote, I will never cast out. And he says, in addition, quote, I will lose nothing. Jesus won't lose you. Some of you say, but I've run away. He's fast. He'll get you. He'll get you. There is a question that is often asked, and it is this. Can a Christian lose their salvation? It's the wrong question. The question is, can Jesus lose a Christian? No. The Bible says, because even when we're faithless, he's faithful. If you really belong to Jesus, he is not going to lose you. You say, but I went far away. He pursues. Right? Some of you would be like, I've been running. Well, if you stop, turn around, he'd be like, howdy, he's been right there the whole time. Okay, you can't lose him. You can't shake him, and that's good. If somebody loves you, they keep pursuing you. Jesus will not lose you, my friend. And it says he will not cast you away. Some of you have been rejected. Your dad walked out on you. Your parents disowned you. Your family doesn't want anything to do with you. Your boss fired you, right? The person you're dating dumped you. Your spouse divorced you. Some of you have experienced a tremendous amount of relational rejection. It's been very painful. I'm sorry for that. You come to Jesus and you're almost a little skittish and fearful. Like Every other relationship I've been rejected. What about this one? Jesus says, I don't cast anyone aside. I don't push anyone away. There's nobody like Jesus. 
There's no relationship like the relationship that Jesus gives. Jesus will not reject you. If you come to him, he will not turn you away. Jesus comes down. He says, you need me, but I'll give you salvation. I'll give you satisfaction. I'll give you security. What do we do? Just trust me. Let's work on this relationship. Just trust me. Let's work on this relationship. Jesus continues his discussion, not only with the crowd, but he also then transitions and he speaks at the synagogue, which is their version of church. So John chapter 6, verse 41. Next slide, please. So they're at church. This is the Old Testament, Old Covenant church. So the Jews grumble. They complain. Some of you old guys, you know exactly what this is like. Ah, I hate the government. I, I, I hate everybody. I hate everything. I, I, yeah, it's just everybody's wrong. And even, I mean, if you sit at Starbucks in Scottsdale and you see old men, this is what you hear. A lot of grumbling. Everything's wrong with the world, except for me. I'm doing great. Okay, so... Grumble, grumble, complain, complain. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament, God sent manna and the people grumbled. God sends the bread of life and the people grumble. Grumbling is not a spiritual gift. Write that down, okay? (laughs) Complaining is not a ministry. Write that down, right? Okay, I got one amen. All right, we're starting. Starting humbly, but we're starting, okay? Somebody like, I can't believe she amen. Right, see, that's, that's that problem is. All right, so, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread come down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mom and dad we know? Didn't our kids play Little League with him? I saw him ride his bike on the cul-de-sac. He didn't come from heaven. He came from our neighborhood. Jesus answered to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father has sent him, draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. He summarizes a statement in Isaiah. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God has seen the Father. Truly, truly, or amen, amen. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now he's going to start talking a little complicated. Then the Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What kind of weird cult are we in, right? Are we, are, are we going to be cannibals? Again, these are people that won't eat pork, let alone people, right? This is, Jesus is like, eat my body, drink my blood. That's where he's going. They're like, what? This is different. And this is in church, amen? Everybody's, oh, hey, we got a guest speaker today. Jesus is here. Yay! Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Oh! Okay, don't, don't take notes today, kids. Uh, Pastor will be back next week. Be back next week, yeah. All right, are we done yet? No, he's going to say it again. Okay, well, I'm going to pretend like i got to go to the bathroom. And I'm going to go home, right? Husbands are all like, this is why I watch football. I never show up. They say crazy stuff. And then they want your money. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay, so here we go, all right? Um, <laughs> So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
zombie apocalypse horror film vampire ministry. Crazy. Whoever feeds on my flesh. He keeps saying it. Can you, can you imagine all the grandmas are like, he, he, keeps, he keeps saying it. I thought it was a mistake and then he did it again. Right? How many of you right now, if I was like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, you're like, well, it's been nice. Yeah, we're, we're church shopping. Yeah. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eat. I mean, he, he just sounds like a heavy metal band with a bunch of kids in Converse high tops, black T-shirts and jeans whose dads didn't hug him enough. Right. I mean, he just sounds like that. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. And he says it again. He keeps saying it. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and in him as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This was in church. Now some of you are like, I wish I was a Bible teacher. Today you don't. Right? None of you wants to do this for a living. How do you explain this? I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes. All right. A couple things about Jesus, a couple things about you, a couple things about your relationship with Jesus. Number one, most people complain and grumble too much. Complain and grumble too much, right? And social media has not fixed this problem. Amen? So they're grumbling and complaining. And what Jesus does, he keeps saying the same thing. He's not going to change what he's saying because people are complaining. He's going to repeat what he's saying despite the people complaining. Number two... If you grow up with Jesus, you can get too familiar with him. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, come down from heaven. They're like, no, we grew up with you. How many of you grew up with Jesus? Have you grew up with Jesus? I mean, you're at a Christian home. You went to Christian school. Your parents sent you to Christian camp. They took you to Christian youth group or kids ministry or church, Right? Some of you grew up, grew up with Jesus. I mean, you literally kind of, you're like, oh, I've heard about Jesus. We sang the songs. You know, I've been to camp. I, I, I've heard this stuff. I know. I'm very familiar with Jesus. I know all about him. I'm just not super excited about him. Not super interested in him. I, I've sort of become very familiar with him, and I've moved on to other things. If you grew up with Jesus, you can get so familiar with Jesus that you don't even know who Jesus really is. That was their problem. That was their problem. They're like, yeah, we know Jesus, and yeah, we're just not that impressed. Well, then you really don't know Jesus. Right? You can become so familiar growing up with Jesus that you're no longer astonished by Jesus. And number three, there are parts of the Bible that are going to confuse you. Right? They find this confusing. These are Jesus' words. They're confused. They're like, what? Eat my body? Drink my blood? Jesus, we don't understand. There are parts of the Bible that are going to be difficult to understand. Sometimes it is difficult to understand because we just don't like what it says. Sometimes it's difficult to understand because we don't understand what it says. Okay? They are going to need to hear, listen, pray, consider. They need to decide whether or not they're going to trust Jesus, even when they don't fully understand Jesus. How many of you, you're in a season where you don't fully understand what God is saying, but you need to trust him 
That's the position that they find themselves in. A little bit about them. Jesus here is the bread of life. Come down with the Father. You're supposed to believe in me. I give eternal life. How does this relationship work? Jesus says two things. He says that the Father draws and you need to decide. There are actually, I'm not going to get into all the nomenclature. There's actually two teams within Christianity. Right? Those who say, you are saved because the Father draws you. And then another team says, no, 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 you're a Christian because you decided. And Jesus says, the Father draws and you decide. Okay? Here's how Jesus says it. He says it this way. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So for those of you who are Christians, start to ask yourself, maybe discuss in your life group or in your family car ride home, how has the Father drawn you to Jesus? How did he open your curiosity, bring people around, put resources in your life? How did the Father draw you? How did he bring you to Jesus? And then Jesus also says this, and it's a pretty incredible statement. Whoever believes has eternal life. Anybody who believes in Jesus has eternal life. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to decide. What you think about Jesus. Will you love Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? Will you be devoted to Jesus? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you give your sin, your salvation, and yourself to Jesus, right? And it's both. The Father draws and you decide. Now, I believe the Father draws first and then you decide. We can debate all of this all day, but both things are true. Some of you need to decide. And some of you, you are Christians, you need to thank God and look for the ways that he's drawn you. I'll give you uh, an illustration. Uh, It comes from uh, my daughter. We had breakfast this week. She's in in college. She's working on a a master's degree in linguistics at the Barrett Honors College and bachelor's in English and Spanish and a minor in Portuguese or something. She's, I'm bilingual. I do English and Pig Latin. Um, Igpe Adelaide, not to brag, but that's 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 as far as uh, that's as far as I go with my language ability. Um, so she's she's a really great gal, loves the Lord, and she has a heart for ministry to Spanish-speaking people. That's her heart, and so she works on campus helping students with projects and papers and such. It's you know when somebody comes in, they're just assigned to whatever student is available at that time. So in God's providence. This person walks in, and he's got objections to Christianity. He's thinking about religion. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. He he lives in his head. He's he's a bright guy by all accounts, and he's thinking through the big questions of life. Well, he sits down with Ashley. She's got to edit his paper on all of these issues. I know this is going to shock you. My daughter likes to argue with people about theological things, okay? I don't know where she gets it. It's kind of, we didn't see that coming. But she, she, she likes it. When you bring an issue up, she, she's happy to talk about it. And she's got great convictions. And they had a long conversation. And she answered a lot of the questions. He kept coming back. I got more questions. This is interesting. Okay, I got more questions, more questions, more questions. And she's answering them, working with him. And he said, yeah, I met this other person, pastor. I met this other person, Christian. So the father is drawing. He's asking questions. People are coming into his life. They're all... Not related, but God has them related. And um, I shared this verse with Ashley. We had breakfast this week, and I was checking in with my daughter, and she was really excited, had me praying for this guy. And uh, I said, honey, it says that the father draws, and we need to decide. She said, the father's definitely drawing him, Dad. And then she kind of got teared up. She got really excited. She's like, Dad, the most incredible thing happened. I said, what's that? She said, he was saying, you know, 
it would be nice if God just showed up in my life. But she said, well, he doesn't do that a lot. You got to trust him by faith. She said, then he told me the story that he was at a Circle K with his buddies thinking, sure be nice if God showed up. And he had a vision in Circle K of Jesus. Okay, Jesus showed up at Circle K. You know, you know, I don't know if he got a hot dog and a Slurpee or what, but he showed up at Circle K. And this guy has this vision of Jesus in Circle K. He doesn't know what it is. And he's like, what the heck? So he's, he's walking out and a stranger walks in, opens the door and says, that was pretty incredible, right? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, now you know what God's like. Okay. And Ashley's like, you need to make a decision. Okay. <laughs> Jesus showed up at Circle K. That's all you get. <laughs> right? I mean, you know the father's drawing you, and you're like, how'd you get saved? I was there at the slurp machine and Jesus showed up, and then the angel met me at the door and said, Pay attention. Right? That's that, that's the father drawing, amen? So what, what Ashley told me is like, you, you, you need to make a decision. Like he's drawing you. you need, so she gave him a Bible and prayed for him and, you know, and told him, start in the gospel of John. So that's where he's at this week. So if, if you are a Christian, it is this, the father draws, you decide. The father draws, you decide. That's how the relationship works. All right, let's come to the complicated portion. Eat my body, drink my blood. It's complicated, right? It's awkward. Okay, should we take that literally? Should we take the Bible literally? Oh, see, now you're all conflicted. You're like, we can't take that literally, but we need to take the Bible literally. My head exploded. Oh, what are we talking? Help. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, so, so should we take the Bible literally? Yes. Okay, sometimes. Okay, right. Let me say this. We should take the Bible literally, and there are two kinds of literal. Okay, plain literal, figurative literal. When you use a figure of speech, are you still communicating a literal truth? We do this in life, right? If I come to you and I say, I am starving, I want a burrito. Plain literal, figurative literal. Literal, I really want a burrito. You're like, what does that mean in the Greek? Burrito, I want a burrito. Okay, if I come to you and I say, I am so hungry, I could eat a horse. You're like, I don't have a horse, and I don't know how you'd eat it. What I'm saying is, I still want a burrito, okay? I want a really big burrito. But I'm using a figure of speech. There are times in the Bible that God uses figures of speech to communicate literal truths. I'll give you another one. Jesus looks at Jerusalem, and he's lamenting, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have longed to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Is Jesus a chicken? (laughs) Giving you a layup here, friends, right? No. Chicken wings are heavenly, but Jesus is not a chicken. What he is communicating is a literal truth with a figure of speech. You ever see a mama hen love her chicks? Jesus loves his people like that. Okay, so we should take the Bible, because people be like, you can't take the Bible literally. You want me to take you literally? You know, we use plain, literal, and figurative literal, and so does the Bible. So the question is this. Eat my body, drink my blood. Plain literal or figurative literal? Now, if we say it's plain literal, we're cannibals. 
which is not ideal. Okay? And I want to be careful with this. How many of you heard this because you grew up in the Catholic Church? But how, many of you are, how many of you are former Catholics? Okay? Welcome to our Mass. My name is Father Mark. We'll have the sacraments in a moment. You're going to enjoy it. Okay? I grew up Irish Catholic. We were the O'Driscolls. When my grandpa died, my grandma became a nun. I was born in a Catholic hospital. I was baptized as a baby in a Catholic church, and I served in a Catholic school as an altar boy. Right? So I get it. And the Catholic church on this issue teaches something called transubstantiation. That when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, that's what he says at the Last Supper. Again, Passover. This is the first Passover. There's a second Passover. At the third Passover in Jesus' ministry, it's the Last Supper. He sits down with the disciples and he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. He takes the wine and said, this is my blood. So they connect this section of John at the first Passover with the last Passover, the Last Supper. And they say, this is the literal body and blood of Christ that at communion, a a supernatural miracle of sorts occurs and that it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, which would mean that we're re-crucifying Christ, something that Hebrews says that cannot be done, that Jesus died once for all. When I was an altar boy assisting the Catholic priest with the communion, he had me stand there with a plate. I'm like, Father, why am I holding the plate? He said, well, that's the body of Christ. And if it falls, we can't have Jesus falling on the ground. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is a big job. You know, (laughs) I'm 10. Like, I don't know if I am equipped for this. You know, like, what if I drop Jesus? I mean, literally, I'm freaking out as a 10-year-old kid. Like, so do we take it plainly? And I love my Catholic family and friends. Many love Jesus. We'll spend forever together with them. Um, But should we take this as plain literal or figurative literal? Figurative. Figurative. So we take communion every week. We remember the broken body of Jesus. In the bread, we remember the shed blood of Jesus in the wine or juice, depending upon your conscience. We believe that it reminds us that Jesus has done all the work and that we are to trust in him. And as we eat bread and it brings life in us, so we trust in Jesus and he brings life into us. So we're going to take communion in a moment, and that's why we take it, and that's what we mean by it. Well, what happens is Jesus talks to the crowd, and the disciples are there, and they're like, oh, that was awkward. Then they go to, oh, let's go to church. Maybe he'll, you know, maybe, oh, oh gosh, eat my body. drink. So then, so then he's going to have a little, you know, gathering with the disciples, and they're probably thinking, I, I hope he clears this up. So they meet with Jesus. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a... This is a hard saying, right? Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Some of your translations, Jesus asked this question. He says, have I offended you? Do you know that Jesus still offends people? He does. You're like, I don't like what he said. That's because we're wrong. That's very offensive. We started where we ended, okay? Jesus no, said this to them, do you take offense? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He said, not only did I come down, I'm going to go back up. 
is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And I would say back on that point of figurative literal versus plain literal, he's just telling us there, the words I'm speaking to you are spirit. He's speaking in spiritual terms, not just physical terms. Um, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Who's that? Judas, And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's out. I'm done. I did the Jesus thing for a while. I like the free bread. The whole change my lifestyle stuff. I'm out. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? That's a, he's looking at the guys. This is a reverse um, crusade. In a crusade, thousands of people come forward. In this one, thousands of people go away. Thousands of people walk away from Jesus all at once. And this happens tragically every day. And he looks at the disciples and he asks them this question. He's like, so what do you want to do? You guys want to go? You done with me? You sick of me? Did I offend you? Have, have, have I confused you? Are you going to trust me? Are we going to have a relationship? Do you want to go? Peter speaks up. He's the leader. And he doesn't doesn't really answer the question. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? That's not really an answer. You want to go? I would. I just don't have anywhere to go. You know, like, how many of you have had that day with Jesus? You're like, today was a rough day with Jesus. Uh, there's some stuff he's saying I don't understand. I'm a little bit offended, and I got no choice. I got to stick with Jesus. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. You're God. You came to save us. There is no other hope. What else are we going to do? And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a... This is a rough day. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Say that again, Jesus. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Do you want to leave? One of you is a devil. Hey, this is a hard day. One of you is a devil. Can you imagine like... Which... Not me. You know, I... <laughs> he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. A couple things about the Bible, then a couple things about you. Number one, sometimes the word of God is hard to understand. They say, this is a hard saying. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. Peter, later on, writes two books of the Bible. First, second Peter And one of the things he says in one of his letters is, some of the scriptures are, quote, hard to understand. Okay? Here's what I would tell you. If you don't understand it, study it. Keep walking with Jesus. Eventually you'll get an answer. Sometimes it'll be in this life. You're like, oh, now that makes sense. If not in this life, in the eternal life, the Bible says that we now see in part and we know in part, and then we shall see and know as we are fully known. We live by faith, not by sight. There are certain things that we're always going to say, you know, I haven't really figured that out. 
Maybe I will as I mature and study more, or maybe I will when I see Jesus. Number two, the word of God can be offensive. Jesus says, have I offended you? And the reason that the word of God is offensive is because sometimes we disagree with it. They don't, they don't agree with what Jesus is saying. Okay? Sometimes the word of God is offensive, and what happens is, we look at the Bible and we say, well, I disagree with the Bible, therefore the Bible needs to change. And God says, no, actually, you need to change. That's why I sent the Bible. The Bible is not something that we are to change. The Bible is something that God uses to change us. Okay? I've, I've done this before. I didn't do this at the nine, but... There, there really are only two ways to view the Word of God. One is like this. I don't like that. I'll change that. I'm not going to obey that. I disagree with that. That offends me. That's outdated, cultural, old-fashioned. Shouldn't have been said that way. Could have been done better. The other way is this. i got to change. If I disagree, I'm wrong. Um, God speaks. He's the teacher. I'm the student. My job is not to edit God's word, but to agree with God's word. My, my job is not to grumble with God. My, my job is to walk with God. Okay? Sometimes the word of God is hard to understand, and sometimes the word of God offends people. Jesus here is giving the word of God. And what I find very curious, they're offended, and he doesn't change what he says. He doesn't say, oh, I took an opinion poll. My ratings are down. I had thousands. Now I've got dozens, and one of them's a devil. This is not trending well. <laughs> you know, I hired the marketing firm, and they said, change the message. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Um, number three, the word of God cannot be understood apart from the spirit of God. He talks about the Holy Spirit, and the spirit gives life, and the things that I have said to you are spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture through human authors, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who really brings us to a right understanding of what the Bible says and how Jesus saves. Uh, What that means is this. um, There's nothing wrong with having a high IQ and being intelligent, but the key to understanding God's Word is not just your intellect, but it's your heart. It's humility. Saying, God, I want to listen. God, I want to learn. I don't want to walk away, and I don't want to grumble. Okay? So, as your pastor who loves you, when you read the Bible, pray. Holy Spirit, teach me. When you feel like grumbling, that's when you need to really be praying. When you feel like walking away, that's when you really need to run to Jesus. And as you're reading and studying and learning, it's good to stop and pray. Holy Spirit, help me figure this out. I'm trying to understand. How about you? What Jesus is talking about here with this whole conversation of bread, he's talking about internal. Just as you partake of bread and wine and you take it internally, what Jesus is saying is, I want a relationship with you that starts in you. Right? Heartfelt, emotional, passionate, relational. This whole conversation is ultimately and truly about Christ in you. 
That's, that's the big idea. That's the big concept. And there are three responses. One, there are people who internally do not have or want a relationship with Jesus. And as a result, you can see it externally because they literally walk away from Jesus. Thousands of people walk away from Jesus in that moment. Is, my friend, is that you? Is that you? You say, you know what? I tried the Jesus thing. I tried the Christianity thing. I'm not feeling it. I'm out. Okay? These are overt people. What they're doing externally is how they're feeling internally. Then there is Judas. Judas is not overt. He's covert. If you were to look at him, does he look like he's walking with Jesus? Yes or no? He's literally walking with Jesus. Everyone else is walking away from Jesus. Judas is walking with Jesus. If you were to look at Jesus and his disciples, you would say, those people love Jesus. Those people trust Jesus. Those people walk with Jesus. Those are Jesus' people. And Jesus says, actually, one's a devil. What this shows is you can, you can do things externally and have no love or relationship with Jesus internally. Covert people are sneaky. They're hard to figure out. They're dishonest. There's a falsity about them. Jesus sits there and teaches, and Judas listens. Jesus says, hey guys, time's to go. Yes, Lord, I follow you. Internally, does Judas love Jesus? Does he have a relationship with Jesus? No. How many of you, you're like the crowd, you've walked away? Today I would tell you it's time to walk back, right? That that God loves you. He's not done with you. He's not given up on you. How many of you, you're like Judas? You know, I, I go to church sometimes. You know, my spouse drags me. My parents drag me. My friends drag me. But I'm not feeling it. But I'll do the religious thing. I'll do the outward thing. But I don't really have the inward thing. That's what Jesus is talking about. This relationship starts in here. What's amazing to me, Judas is going to still be loved by Jesus for a couple of years. Jesus knows what's in Judas's heart. And he still serves him. And he loves them because God is patient and God is loving and God is gracious and God is kind and God is relational. You're going to see it coming up shortly. Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet. He's going to wash Judas's feet. Jesus is literally going to get down on his knees and look Judas in the eye and say, I love you. I'm here to serve you. And Judas in his heart is saying the entire time, I don't want anything to do with you. My friend, if you don't want a relationship with Jesus, it's not because there's something wrong with Jesus. There's something wrong with your heart. But if you're one of those people, like Judas, it's not too late for you either. Jesus walked with him for years, kept giving him opportunity. Jesus is willing to walk with you and give you opportunity. And then the third is Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples. He says, we have believed in you. We trust you, so we're going to walk with you. 
Walking with Jesus means you're going to have some hard days. They did. It means you're going to have some questions. They did. It means you're going to be offended. They were. And a true disciple of Jesus says, despite the hard day, despite the difficult questions, despite the offenses, I'm walking with Jesus because I trust him. And I may not understand everything he's doing, but I know he's awesome and I trust him and I love him and I want a relationship with him and I'm going to stick close to him and eventually he's going to figure it out and eventually I'm going to see what he was saying and doing. Amen. Amen? That's the Christian life. I would invite, I would encourage all of you, believe in Jesus internally and walk with Jesus externally. This is all relational. And we're going to take communion in just a moment. And this is your opportunity to take that next step. And as you literally come forward for communion, I want you, if you partake of communion, to say, I believe in Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I trust in Jesus. He is the bread come down from heaven. When I partake of the bread and the wine, I remember all the work that needed to be done for the forgiveness of my sins and my eternal life was finished on the cross of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, his body, his blood. I trust him. I believe in him. I belong to him. I want a relationship with him. I want to walk with him. Amen? That's what we show in communion. And I invite you to partake if you believe in Jesus and you want to walk with him. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to teach your word here to these precious people today. Father, This is a complicated, long section. We have covered a lot. I thank you for the graciousness of these people to give me their time, give me their ear, give me an opportunity to take what can be a very difficult section of Scripture and try and articulate it in plain terms, relational terms. Holy Spirit, I pray for any who have been like the crowd. Internally, they're not excited about you. Externally, they're not walking with you. That today would be the day of pivot, the day of change, the day of transformation, and and the day of, of walking toward you instead of walking away from you. Lord Jesus, for any that are hearing this, and they're really like Judas... They're a little more covert. They're, they're seeming externally like they're disciples and believers and followers, but internally, they're not surrendered to you. They don't love you. They're not in relationship with you. They're not agreeing with you. They're just a little more sneaky about it. I pray that today, Lord God, they would have a heart change, that they would receive grace, love, forgiveness, newness of heart, that they would decide to follow Jesus. And God, for all of us, I pray that we would follow in the example of Peter imperfect as he was, mistakes that he made, things that he said, one thing is true. He kept walking with you. And even when he walked away, he walked back. Lord Jesus, pray for all of these precious dear people today, that they would believe in you internally, that they would walk with you externally, that this relationship would be real and this relationship would continue forever in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.